Section 22 of The Sainted Queens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. The Sainted Queens by Unknown. St. Elizabeth of Hungary, Chapter 4. While the life of the dear St. Elizabeth was devoted to lovely deeds of charity to the poor and sick members of Christ, the good lance of her chivalrous lord was consecrated to the protection of the oppressed. He undertook a war against the Duke of Poland simply because he had refused redress to some merchants from Thuringia, who had been robbed and ill-treated on their way through Poland. Greatly did the Thuringian chivalry marvel that their lord should set foot in the stirrup for so trifling a matter as the property or lives of a few merchants, but they could not choose but follow him, and in three days' time the town of Serbansk, where the outrage had been committed, was burnt and its castle besieged by the landgrave's troops. The Duke of Poland, who had never dreamed that a landgrave of Thuringia would come so far to invade his dominions, sent him offers of pecuniary satisfaction, but Louis replied that he had better have done so when he wrote courteously to him from a distance, and that he had no mind to come so far for nothing, and he pressed the siege. The Polish prince then sent a bishop to remonstrate with the landgrave, and to assure him that if he did not return home without delay, the Poles, who were famous warriors, would fall upon him under their prince on the following monday and exterminate his army louis replied that he desired nothing better than to make acquaintance with the duke of poland and that not to hurry him he would wait eight days after the monday named by him in order to see what sort of people his poles were but neither duke nor poles appeared the castle surrendered and louis having raised it to the ground returned to thuringia leaving behind him a reputation for courage justice and love of his people which was not soon forgotten in eastern germany some time afterwards he drew his sword in a yet more insignificant quarrel as he was amusing himself at the annual fair of eisenach with inspecting the different stalls he saw a poor peddler with a very small pack from which he was selling thimbles needles leaden images and other feminine wear the landgrave asked him if he could make a living out of this little traffic well my lord said the peddler i am ashamed to beg and i am not strong enough for daily labour but if i could only travel in safety from one town to another i could by the grace of god earn my daily bread and moreover by the end of the year make my pack worth a little more than it was at the beginning well said the good landgrave i will give you my safe conduct for a year and you shall pay neither toll nor tax throughout all my dominions what do you reckon to be the value of your pack twenty shillings replied the peddler give him ten shillings said louis to his treasurer and get a safe conduct made out for him sealed with my seal then turning to the peddler he said i mean to go halves with you in your trade Promise me that you will be a faithful partner to me, and I will engage to keep you harmless. The poor man was delighted and set off upon his new career, which was so successful that at the end of the year he brought back his pack to his noble partner, considerably increased in value. The landgrave took a few trifling articles as his share of the property, which he distributed among his servants. The peddler made of his appearance faithfully at the beginning of every new year to give an account of his profits, which soon became so considerable that he was obliged to buy an ass to carry the weight of his increased wealth but about the end of the year 1225 as he was returning from venice whither he had gone to purchase various precious and curious articles of venetian manufacture he was set upon at Würzburg in franconia by some of the inhabitants who thought they should much like to have some love tokens for their wives and daughters without the cost of paying for them so they carried off the poor man's ass and all his merchandise in utter contempt of the safe conduct from the landgrave of thuringia the peddler barely escaped with his life and arrived in piteous plight at eisenach to complain to his lord and partner of his misfortune my dear comrade said the prince laughing do not disturb yourself so much at the loss of our merchandise have a little patience and leave me to recover it 
Then he summoned all the counts, knights, and squires in the neighborhood, together with a good company of peasants who fought on foot, and, entering Franconia at their head, devastated the whole country to the gates of Würzburg, inquiring everywhere for his ass. The Prince Bishop of Würzburg, astonished at this sudden invasion, sent to ask the landgrave what he meant by so strange a proceeding. Louis replied that he was come to seek an ass of his which had been stolen from him by some of the bishop's men. The bishop immediately caused the ass and its burden to be restored to its owner, who returned with it in triumph, to the great delight and admiration of the common people, who hailed him as their champion and defender. Louis was now summoned by the Emperor Frederick II to aid in his campaign in Italy, where he served with great courage and distinction. And during his absence a calamity befell Thuringia, which gave fresh scope to the tender charity of his saintly wife. A dreadful famine prevailed over the whole of Germany, pressing most heavily upon Thuringia in the year 1226. The famished people were scattered throughout the woods and fields, collecting such roots and wild fruits as usually served only for the food of beasts. They devoured horses, asses, and all manner of revolting things, and the roads were strewn with the bodies of the dying and the dead. Elizabeth's heart swelled within her at the misery of her husband's subjects, and her sole thought and occupation during his absence was their relief. She began by distributing all the money in the treasury, which, in consequence of the recent sale of some of the landgrave's lands, amounted to 6,400 golden florins, an enormous sum in those days. Then she opened her husband's granaries, and in spite of the opposition of the officers of his household, distributed the whole contents among the people. Yet this boundless liberality was directed by the strictest prudence. Instead of giving away the corn in large quantities, which might have been heedlessly squandered, she distributed daily to each person the portion necessary for his subsistence, which had been previously baked in the ovens of the castle to save the poor pensioners all needless expense. Nine hundred poor were thus daily relieved. But there was a still greater number prevented by sickness or infirmity from climbing the steep ascent to the castle, and these were the objects of the Landgravine's special care. With her own hands she carried them food from her own table, which she and her ladies scarcely dared to touch, for fear of diminishing the portion of the poor. She placed the sick who required special care in the hospital, which she had founded halfway up the castle hill, and established two other hospitals in the city of Eisenach, one of which remains to this day. Twice every day did the young Landgravine descend the steep declivity between the castle and these two hospitals to minister with her own hands to their suffering inmates. Her attendants murmured loudly at the closeness and bad smells of the sick rooms in the intense heat of summer, but though naturally peculiarly susceptible to such inconveniences, Elizabeth persevered in her labor of love without chewing, by word or look, that she was even conscious of their existence. In one of these hospitals she had an asylum for sick, orphan, or deserted children. The poor little creatures crowded round her as soon as she appeared among them, clinging to her dress and crying, Mother! Mother! The time which remained after her visits to the hospital was devoted by the dear saint to seeking out the sick and suffering in their own miserable homes and visiting the prisoners in the castle dungeons. While thus engaged, she was continually lifting up her heart in prayer, and sometimes her interior communings with God would become audible to those around her. Thus she was once heard to utter the following words in the hospital, How can I thank thee enough, O Lord, for enabling me to gather together these poor people who are thy dearest friends, and permitting me thus to serve them myself? An angel was heard to reply, Rejoice, Elizabeth, for thou art also the friend of the living God, and dost shine as the moon in his sight. Other miraculous signs testified the divine favor towards her. As she was returning from the town, whither she had gone to buy some glass and earthenware toys for the poor little children in the hospital, her carriage was overturned by the awkwardness of the driver upon a heap of stones. She was unhurt by the accident, and not one of the little playthings which she was carrying wrapped up in a fold of her mantle was broken. Another time she had her apron full of broken meat, which she was distributing among a group of miserable beggars, when she saw a fresh company come up just as she had discovered that she had not nearly enough for the first. She continued, however, to give piece after piece, 
praying all the while in her heart, and as fast as one was given it was replaced by another till she had fed the whole party without emptying her apron. The Landgravine did not confine her care to the poor immediately around her. The most distant portions of her husband's dominions had a share in her motherly solicitude, and when the public funds failed to relieve their wants, she sold all her jewels and valuable possessions to supply the deficiency. Elizabeth continued these extraordinary succours until the autumn of 1227 put an end to the extremity of the scarcity, when she assembled all the poor who were in a condition to work, gave to each a new shirt and pair of shoes, and sent them to work in the fields. To those who were not strong enough to work, she gave a suit of clothes and a small sum of money, and when money failed, she took her silk robes and veils, and divided them among the poor women, saying, I do not give you these things to wear, but that you may sell them to supply your wants, and then work according to your strength. For it is written, He that will not work, let him not eat. The people of Thuringia have forgotten the faith of their fathers, and the memory of the heretic Luther, who found his Padmos, as he modestly called it, at Vardberg, has overshadowed that of dear St. Elizabeth. His pulpit is now shown as the chief object of interest in the chapel where she was wont to pray, but the pilgrim's eye can still trace from the castle height, which overlooks the magnificent landscape below, the steep and rugged path so often trodden by the unweary feet of the princess of the poor. The site of the hospital erected near the gate of the ducal palace still bears the name of its foundress. A Franciscan convent was built there in her honor in 1331, which, with seventeen other churches and convents in the town of Eisenach alone, was pillaged and destroyed in a single day at the time of the Reformation, the monks and priests withdrawing two and two, in solemn procession from their blazing convents, amid the hissing and insults of the heretics, and chanting the day in thanksgiving that they had been accounted worthy to endure the loss of all things for Christ. The stones of the convent were used to repair the fortifications of the castle, but a little fountain of pure and living water, in which she had been used to wash the linen of the poor, still bears the name of St. Elizabeth, and the peasants called the little coppice wood, surrounded by a broken wall which shades the lonely fountain, Elizabeth's garden. Meanwhile, the landgrave Louis, hearing of the distress of his subjects, obtained leave from the emperor to return home. There was joy throughout all Thuringia at the presence of the beloved prince, whose return was hailed by his famished people as the termination of all their miseries. His mother and young brothers rejoiced exceedingly, but no joy equaled that of Elizabeth. It had been her first long absence from that beloved husband, who was the sole confidant of all her holy and happy thoughts, and whose noble and unworldly character she alone thoroughly understood and appreciated. The officers of the Landgrave's household, measuring his heart by their own, thought he would be much displeased at the lavish prodigality with which his treasures had been exhausted during his absence, and hastened to meet him on his way home in order to throw all the blame upon the Landgravine who, as they said, had emptied all the granaries and spent all the money in the treasure of Vordberg, in spite of all their remonstrances. Annoyed by these complaints at such a moment, Louis replied coldly, Is my dear wife well? That is all I want to know. What matters all the rest to me? And then he added, I wish you to leave my good little Elizabeth to give as much an alms as she pleases, and I would have you to aid instead of contradicting her. Let her give as much as she will, for so long as she leaves us Eisenach, Vordberg, and Nomberg, she will not ruin us by her almsgiving and he hastened on to greet his beloved wife, who, in the words of Berthold, an eyewitness of the scene, threw herself into his arms and kissed him a thousand times over, with her lips in her heart. "'Dear sister,' said Louis, as he held her in his arms, "'what has become of all your poor people during this bad year?' She replied gently, "'I have given to God what belonged to him, and God has preserved for us what belongs to thee and to me.' Tradition adds that as Louis and Elizabeth were walking up and down the great hall together in long and earnest discourse, they saw corn pouring in under the doors and through the crevices of the flooring. The seneschal was sent to ascertain the cause, and brought back word that the coffers were so full of corn that it was pouring over, and finding its way through the flooring above the granary, and they returned thanks to God. 
The first care of the Landgrave on his return was to redress all the wrongs sustained from powerful men by the poor or by religious communities during his absence. One Saturday evening he visited the Benedictine monastery of Reinhardsbrunn, which was a favorite retreat of his, and heard from the abbot that a neighboring chief, the Lord of Salza, had taken forcible possession of a territory belonging to the monastery, on a mountain commanding the valley on which it stood, and had there erected a fortress to the great annoyance of the religious. Louis wrote immediately to Vortberg for a party of men-at-arms to attend him early next morning, with scaling ladders. At daybreak he heard a low mass, charged the abbot not to have the cross carried, nor high mass sung till his return, and then went to meet his soldiers, whom he led at once to attack the castle. The walls were scaled, and the lord of Salza taken prisoner. The landgrave put him in irons and brought him to the abbey. On his arrival he caused the cross to be brought forth, and followed the usual procession before high mass, the usurping knight and his soldiers being led, bound, before the cross, the cantor intoning the versicle, Domine humiliasti sicut vulneratum superbum, and all the monks answering, In brachio virtutis tu dispersity inimicos tuos, thou hast humbled the proud, and with thy mighty arm thou hast dispersed thy enemies. After mass the landgrave made the lord of Salza swear that he would do no further injury to the monastery, and then dismissed him, with orders for the immediate destruction of the castle, which had been taken so early in the morning. End of chapter 4 of St. Elizabeth of Hungary. End of section 22. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.